The Constitution means what it says. Treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors, none of them exist in the Mallorcas case just as they didn't exist in the Trump case. If Donald Trump was convicted, that would change X number of voters, you know, a desire to vote for him. If you had to predict the odds of a conviction in any of these cases coming down before November, what percentage would you give in which case do you think would that 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 would be? I think the DC case could have a big impact and 95% of the jury pool will be people who hate Donald Trump. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. What a day we have for you today. Alan Dershowitz is here. He's gonna break down all things legal. First, we're gonna kick off with a discussion about the border. Where does this Texas Biden administration fight end? Who's right, who's wrong, where does it go? Plus all of Trump's cases, criminal and civil. And here's the thing, Alan Dershowitz is saying, yeah, this is the guy who defended Trump from impeachment, but he's now saying, guess what? I was right then and I don't think that Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security should be impeached either. And he's gonna break down why. It's a fascinating legal analysis. He is the author of both Get Trump and the brand new book, The War Against the Jews. Let's get into all things legal with Professor Alan Dershowitz. All right, folks, class is in session. The professor is here. So much to break down today, professor. I want to start with the border. Um, it seems like we've got a little bit of a legal showdown here. The state of Texas uh, has the Supreme Court telling them they have to let these border agents in, these federal border agents. They're saying, no way, Jose. How does this thing play out in your mind? Well, this is a classic conflict between the supremacy clause, which gives the federal government the right to control our border, and the police power clauses of the Constitution, which give the states the power to help protect citizens against drug use and gangs. And it's a classic conflict. And so far, the court has resolved it five to four in a preliminary case, a preliminary way early on. I suspect that may change. I think that one of the five may, when it comes to deciding the case on the actual merits rather than on just an early stay, may say, hmm, the state of Texas really has a claim here. Well, it was interesting because non-lawyers that I know said that Abbott seemed to play this well because the initial case, he let it play out. And then he sort of threw a card down and said, well, wait a second, Article 4 of the Constitution says the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect them against invasion. And Abbott's saying, okay, I'm being invaded. You're not protecting me. I have a right to do it. That seems to go along with those police powers that you're discussing. Yeah, and he has a very strong case there. And this issue has never been resolved by the Supreme Court and will have to be resolved one way or the other. Um, and I don't know how it's going to come out because there's no precedent on this. We've never had this kind of a state-by-state -state invasion now, the federal government will come back and say, this is not only Texas, this is not only every border state, this involves every state because people are being brought to New York and Massachusetts and other places. So this is really a national problem. Look, ultimately, the issue has to be solved by Congress. And what we're seeing now, and we all know this politically, is a political uh, effort to try to help each side in the national election. Now, Biden is trying to become strong on the border, finally, because he sees the polls are hurting him terribly. And Trump doesn't want to resolve this issue by November because he wants it to be a big issue in the campaign. The American public loses when issues like this get politicized. 
All right, folks, if you've been watching the show for a while, you've heard me talk about my friend, Leo Grillo. He rescued a Doberman years ago, and he named the dog Delta. Delta stands for Dedication and Everlasting Love to Animals. He took it a step further. He founded Delta Rescue, and if you go to deltarescue.org, you can see some of the amazing work that they do. Just check out those videos. Look at some of the things that they do and the research. It's amazing. It's a no-kill sanctuary. You notice I didn't say shelter. It's a sanctuary. Dogs, cats, horses, they all roam free. They get the nutrition and the care they need for life. That has been Leo's mission, but it doesn't stop there. Leo wants to make this an enduring mission. All of Delta Rescue runs on our contributions, five, 10, a hundred, a thousand dollars, whatever you can do. But Leo really wants to make sure that this outlasts even him. So if you go to deltarescue.org, you can check out not just the videos, but go to the estate planning kit and think about whether or not helping animals and ensuring that Delta Rescue lives on is part of your mission as well. Go to deltarescue.org, make a contribution, but then download that estate planning kit, deltarescue.org. Check it out now. Let's play out the Texas situation for just a second. The Biden administration is seemingly saying, we want to cut this razor wire that you've put up in Texas on the border. And the state of Texas is saying it protects us from an invasion. Doesn't that on its face though, um, you give Texas, I would argue, or, or seemingly a very strong argument to say, that's exactly what the constitution is calling for. We're being invaded. All we're doing is trying to put up wire. We're not trying to usurp the power and the role of the federal government. We're just trying to protect ourselves and they are cutting it down, allowing this invasion to occur. Yeah, and the easy test case would be, what if Texas moved the uh, razor wires back uh, a couple of hundred yards, right in the middle of Texas, not on the border, in order to protect its people uh, or put barbed wire in front of certain towns or cities? Clearly, they'd win on that. Uh, and so this boils down to an issue that I think was not anticipated by our framers. And as Chief Justice John Marshall said, is the Constitution we are expounding a constitution for all times. And we have to see whether the constitution is adaptable to this crisis, which we're experiencing now. And it is a crisis. Now, it's not enough of a crisis to transition to another issue to warrant the impeachment of the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, the Republicans are doing to him exactly what the Democrats unsuccessfully tried to do to Donald Trump. The Democrats tried to impeach Donald Trump based on non-constitutional criteria, abuse of power, obstruction of Congress. I defended President Trump successfully, persuaded a lot of Republicans that the Constitution, not constitutional provisions for impeachment can't be expanded. They are there. And now some of these same Republicans hypocritically are saying, ah, but this is a different situation. Guess we're impeaching a Democrat. The Democrats were wrong for doing it. The Republicans were wrong for doing it. The Constitution means what it says, treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. None of them exist in the Mallorca's case, just as they didn't exist in the Trump case. So what about that great legal precedent, which is you started it first? Uh, yeah. The, I mean, I, I honestly, the funny part about this is I don't disagree with you. The Constitution is very clear what it is. But like so many things, they went after Trump. You defended him successfully for exactly the reasons you enumerated. But they start, I mean, this is, they politicized a process. And now they're saying, gosh, the Republicans are politicizing a process. Well, no kidding. You did it too. And and I, yeah. I, I get it. Two, two wrongs don't make a right. 
But how do Democrats, I was watching Hakeem Jeffries, the, the Democratic leader, get up there and say, this is pure politics. And I'm like, it is. But you did it first. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Two wrongs make a fight. And <laughs> and and that's what we're seeing. A Democrats also argue, no, 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 no. You guys started it with Clinton. Now, Clinton did commit a crime. Right. Uh, at least according to the nation's perjury. But it was a low crime, not a high crime. It wasn't a crime of governance. It was a crime of, you know, seedy uh, White House shenanigans with a young intern and, and perjury about that. So everybody thinks the other side is at fault. I think we ought to declare an armistice and put impeachment back behind that glass. Uh, do not break except in case of emergency and, and never use it again. You know, we didn't use it for a hundred and some odd years between Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. And I don't think there's been a case for impeachment ever since. And we ought to reserve impeachment for cases where there's a clear consensus among both Democrats and Republicans. That's why the Senate requires a two thirds vote. Right. Well, and I get it. I mean, we've now weaponized uh, another system. I mean, the Democrats uh, did this with judges to some degree, the filibuster. It just it does. It doesn't end. And I think the, the, the point, though, that I have is it isn't the one thing that's different is that this isn't a criminal thing. This is a political tool. And so I get it. You're going down a very slippery slope because the point that I've made about Mayorkas is he may not do his job, but the next guy is going to enforce the same policy. This is coming from Biden. Biden will tell the next secretary to do the same thing. Don't enforce this, enforce that. Um, but but and, and policy disagreements are going to be a very difficult thing going forward for us. But isn't inherently impeachment a political tool, not a, a ju judicial tool? Well, it is. But uh, when the Constitution was enacted, one of the um, South Carolina delegates said we ought to have impeachment for, quote, maladministration. And the father of the Constitution, James Madison, got up and said, no, that will turn the American presidency into the British prime ministership and make America into a parliamentary democracy where you can get rid of the head of state just by a vote of lack of confidence. So he rejected it, and the framers rejected maladministration. One of the congressmen just yesterday said, that's what Mayorkas is guilty of, maladministration. So it is political, but Hamilton said the greatest danger would be if impeachment turned on who had the most votes, and that's what's going on. So it is political, but it's political. It requires, however, specific constitutional criteria. Treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors, they're not satisfied in any of these cases. The only case that was satisfied on Nixon, he could have been impeached under the Constitution, but he knew that, and so he resigned. Um, uh, sticking with Congress for a second, there's obviously, at least apparently, a negotiation now about getting Hunter Biden to agree to some kind of deposition. He was facing contempt of Congress. Peter Navarro, who defied Congress's subpoena uh, with respect to the January 6th committee, was just sentenced to four months in jail. Okay, so the two things I want to ask you about that are number one, four months in jail for defying a subpoena. Is that a normal punishment? Number one. And number two, is part of the reason you think from a legal strategy, the reason that Hunter Biden suddenly engaged with the committee is they realized that if they didn't, it would be very difficult for the Justice Department to say, yeah, we went after Bannon and Navarro, but we're not going after Hunter Biden. 
absolutely correct. And that's absolutely the reason he did it. I know his lawyer. His, Abby Lowell is a great lawyer. I've worked with him in the past. Uh, and he's smart. And he knew that he couldn't get away with not uh, complying. And so he did the best he could. Navarro should not get any time. This is a test case. This is the way you challenge the power of Congress in relation to the executive branch. And you wait until all these uh, uh, challenges are finally brought. And then if they are, you give them a $100 fine, you know, just a symbolic sense. Look, how many people in the Obama administration and other Democratic administrations refused to comply? President Harry Truman refused to comply with the subpoena. It goes back to our founding that there's this dispute between whether or not the legislative branch has the power to subpoena members of the executive branch and ask them questions about their relationships with the president. This is not an occasion for criminal punishment or contempt punishment. It's an occasion for resolving this issue peaceably. Hey, guys, uh, as a former White House press secretary and a graduate of the U.S. Naval War College, I spent a lot of time thinking through contingency planning. And there's nothing better that you can do for yourself and your family and your loved ones than getting the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. When something goes wrong, a natural disaster, some other thing that attacks our power grid, you will be prepared. The Patriot Generator 2000X is the perfect thing for your house, your family. You can plug in everything, a refrigerator, so if you have medical supplies or food, you will be prepared. All of those other tablets and computers, things that are helpful for you and your family, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X takes care of it. The best part about it is it's portable. You can bring it in your house. You can take it with you on a trip, run it out of your car at a campsite. It doesn't matter. Put it literally in your house and on the counter and power the fridge. You can do it. Plus, it operates off a solar panel, which comes free with your order. You will be prepared. No running to the gas station. No worrying about anything else. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X is your hedge against the inevitable. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer to get yours now. But with the Navarro case, you mentioned that normally this might result in a fine or something like that. Is it because it's about Donald Trump that we're seeing an excessive penalty? Is that is that what this is really all about if most people wouldn't get this? That's right. Exactly right. It's part of, you know, as you know, I wrote a book called Get Trump. Right. I, yeah. um, and... In the book, I talk about how special rules have been adopted for Donald Trump. And friends of mine on the left tell me that they admit that. They say Trump is, you know, a great danger to democracy. So we have to stretch the Constitution, even distort the Constitution. The ends justify the means. We have to get Trump no matter what. I got an email just yesterday saying no matter what it does to the Constitution, we have to get Trump. It's as if they wrote a chapter in my book. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's just I don't I'm not a Trump supporter politically, but I want to see him defeated on the merits at the polls, not by Colorado taking him off the ballot or uh, people or scaring his lawyers away. You know, the 65 project now is going after lawyers, including me, uh, for defending Donald Trump or anybody else who supported Donald Trump is really endangering the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution. And we all suffer from that. You know, it's funny. There was a, uh, a lawyer for a woman named Cassidy Hutchinson who testified in front of the, the January 6th committee. Her lawyer, Stefan Pasatino, has been attacked mercilessly. Uh, and, and to your point, they're going after him, his practice. 
for defending her. And he has now sued the January 6th committee and Liz Cheney because he argues that they went to his witness and tried to get her to talk to them and do stuff without counsel. And yet that would normally seem like it would rise to an occasion of, of you know, media scrutiny and et cetera. And, and, you know, you want to talk about disbarment, people going and talking to somebody's client when they knew they had representation. And yet there was no, there's been no coverage of that. Oh, I agree with you. I think both the media and bar associations and some judges have weaponized the bar disciplinary process against not only conservatives, but liberals like me who support the Constitution. But if we're on Trump's side or on the side of any Republicans, they're coming to get you. And of course, I have the resources and the will to fight back. I have my case pending now in front of the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. I did the terrible crime and sin of actually saying that if the government has delegated responsibility to count votes to a private company, the private company should be as transparent as the government has to be. And that for that sin, uh, I have been sanctioned. And that case is now pending in the Ninth Circuit. And two bar associations are looking into me as the result of that. I can fight back. But other lawyers don't have the resources to fight back. And they're afraid of losing uh, clients. Uh, and so all Americans have to be on the side of defending. You know, it was the great villain of Shakespeare who said, first, let's kill the lawyers. And that's what I think some of the left is trying to do, not kill, but disbar and discipline and frighten lawyers away. And it's working. Lawyers do not want to represent people on the right because they know that they're going to be uh, attacked and, and, and their careers are going to be damaged if they do. Yeah. It's funny. On Monday, uh, we're going to talk to uh, one of the documentary uh, makers of this January 6th uh, movie that the Epic Times put out. And in advance of it, obviously, I'm watching the movie. And it was just fascinating to see and I know you represent one of these guys, um, how some of these folks, and again, I'm not making any excuses for people who broke the law or did bad things like that. They should be punished. But the, the, the idea that some of these people have been detained without a hearing. And I'm thinking to myself, this is America. Like, how does this happen? Again, the reason, at least, and I think this is what you've been saying, is in any other circumstance, people would be outraged and talking about how the, this is a miscarriage of justice. And yet, because they were in support of, of a Trump-backed initiative, it's okay. Yeah, no, I agree with you. My own client was prevented from graduating law school, where he was a very, very good student, because he went into the Capitol, having been waved in by the police, never touched anything, never hurt anybody, walked out when the police told him to walk out. Fortunately, he's not been detained, but he's been denied the ability to graduate law school and to become a lawyer without a trial. I, I just, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to your point, and I get this is at the, the you know, you, you wrote about it in the book, Get Trump, but this is at the core of, of what you believe in, which is defending the Constitution. And yet so many people right. who talk about defending democracy, protecting whatever, are willing to bend it to to get what they want or go against who they think is an enemy. I, I just the irony is so amazing to me that they're willing yeah. to and go against. Go ahead. Yeah. And the agreement since is trying to take President Trump off the ballot. I have a constitutional right to vote against Donald Trump for the third time. I want to exercise that constitutional right. And I don't want the Secretary of State of Maine 
or some legislature or court in Colorado to tell me who I should be able to vote for. That's the ultimate end of democracy when you deny half the American public or 45%, whatever the percentage is of the American public, the right to vote for the presidential candidate of their choice. Well, and you, you, let's go down the, the Trump case rabbit hole, if you will. You brought up the ballot case. It's pretty obvious the Supreme Court's going to address this. The question I have, based on your expertise, there's always a question about, does the Supreme Court take a very narrow view, kind of go in surgically and address a very narrow way where they, they don't get deep into the issue? And so they yeah. just say, yeah, he can be on the ballot. Or do they actually address the issue of, of whether he engaged in insurrection or not? I think they do it based on uh, Chapter 5 of the 14th Amendment that gives Congress the power to set procedures for who can be disqualified. You can't have a single secretary of state or radical leftist decide that he can't serve on this ballot, but somebody from the right decides, yes, he can serve, he can run on that ballot. It has to be a national uh, issue with national standards. And I think the Supreme Court will take a narrow view, but I'm hoping they go nine nothing on this. Uh, but, you know, who knows? It could be 6-3. You know, the most recent case involving the Texas Bob Wire was 5-4 to four with two uh, conservatives joining uh, the three liberals. So, you know, you never know what the vote is going to be. Is it, in your experience, is it something where John Roberts, to your, to your point about getting a 9-0 decision, do they, when they deliberate, do they ever, does he, does, do they are they completely isolated on their own, looking at the, the merits of the case? Or do they ever come together and John Roberts says, hey, guys, what will it take to get 9-0? Uh, we can draw this really oh, narrow. Or they, is that as They come together in two different ways. First of all, John Roberts goes from chamber to chambers, individually trying to persuade justices to do what's best for the court, because that's his job. And second, on Friday morning, they have a conference in which law clerks are excluded Boy, do I remember one of those conferences very well. I had to knock on the door in one of those conferences and tell the justices that John Kennedy has been assassinated. Would you believe no, that? Well, oh, that, that I mean, that, that's history right there. I mean, my goodness, I can't imagine yeah. what, what, who, so what was, when, when, did you just to, like stop? Cause this is history that we're hearing about. What was the reaction? I mean, what was the reaction when that happened? I mean, they were shocked. First, Arthur Goldberg, who was my justice and was the youngest justice, said, Alan, you can't come in here. You know that. And I said, Mr. Justice, the justices are going to want to hear this. And I was the only one on the Supreme Court uh, that had a television because I'm a fanatical baseball fan. It was shortly after the World Series. And all the justices came into my little cubicle. Wizard White was crying because he was a very close friend of, uh, of the president of the United States. The chief justice then ordered all the justices to disperse and go to different places because he didn't know whether it would be a Lincoln type plot, including others, and left the law clerks behind to take care of the business of the court. It was quite a day, quite a day uh, in, in, in 1963. That's probably one of those days, technology wise, if you think about it, you're like, I wish I had a picture of that moment in time. Yeah. yeah me um, too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get back to the to to the to the case here. So there's a deadline. I mean, the, these these ballots, these these cases, Maine and others are in March. When does the court, from a schedule standpoint, is this something that they are going to have to? I, I mean, I get that we want an answer sooner rather than later, but where are we in the court schedule in terms of how this plays out? 
Well, first of all, there's stays. So right now he goes on the ballots, but uh, the case is going to be argued very soon. And I, I suspect the Supreme Court will come down, at least with a preliminary decision, very quickly and allow him to be on the ballots. And then maybe there'll be a longer term decision uh, over time. But my prediction is he will be on every ballot of every state. Hey, folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know during the Biden economy, that's something that all of us are trying to do more. I've added precious metals to my investment strategy. And the people that I trust to do that are the folks at Bishop Gold Group. Now, if you go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, you can begin your journey as well with a special promotion. Or you can give them a call at 844-984-1616. These are the people that I picked up the phone. I called them. I walked through my particular situation. And we came up with a strategy. Now, maybe you have an IRA that you want to roll over. Maybe you just want to diversify your investments. But people at Bishop Gold Group are the people that I trust. Give them a call. Or go to the site, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get on the phone, you talk about your particular situation, and they'll help you come up with a strategy. Maybe you keep some of the gold with you. Maybe they do it for you. But you can work with them one-on-one to come up with a strategy that's good for you. So go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to begin your journey to financial freedom through precious metals. The thing that I found so ironic about Maine and Colorado in particular was they're trying to get it kicked off the primary ballot. And, and there's always been, there's a second piece of law which allows the parties to govern their nominees and their processes for, for choosing their nominees. And I yeah. thought, this is odd that a bunch of Democrats are interfering in a party process about chicken the nominees. They weren't trying to get them off the general election yet. They were focused on screwing with the party process, which I thought was unique and interesting. Right, and especially since the party has the right to abolish the primary and just go to caucuses Correct. or just have the head of the who the nominee is going to be. There's nothing in the Constitution about how parties determine who the candidates will be. And back in the day when, you know, Jefferson and Barr and all those guys, uh, there weren't primaries. So let's, we, we've got the 14th Amendment piece down. I want to switch over from criminal to civil for a second. Uh, this E. Jean Carroll decision that came down. What fascinated me yeah. about this whole thing was you we felt like from an America standpoint, from a viewer standpoint, we jumped in from like he had already been found guilty of uh, sexual harassment or sexual inappropriate. I, I don't even know the charges. And we were now suddenly thrust into the uh, to the financial aspect of it. What what damages were going to be awarded to him? I, to me, I, I, I can't believe I mean, eighty three million dollars uh, for defaming her, et cetera, seems like an excessive amount. This goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of the Peter Navarro uh, decision and penalty. Did, did the, is the number what jumps out and says this is ridiculous? Oh, yeah. And her lawyers, she are doing a very stupid thing. She's now on television becoming a public figure and benefiting tremendously from this case. She's going on television. She's send, telling all these people how she's going to spend the money. She's going to become famous. She's going to do this and do that. Court of Appeals looking at this is going to say $80 million? Maybe $80 comes closer to the actual damage she suffered from the defamation. It looks like she's benefited from the defamation. As far as the sexual assault is concerned, of course, that's different. Remember she was that he was found not liable for rape. It was a strange verdict. They didn't believe her on the issue of her rape. They didn't believe her. This was just by the preponderance of the evidence. They didn't believe her. 
but they believe her in sexual assault. Now, you know, I've been teaching criminal law 60 years. I have a hard time distinguishing between rape and sexual assault, but the jury, that's how they found it. This verdict will be lowered. And if it's not, it will be another example of that job. Who, so if he didn't do well with that New York jury, is it when he goes to the Court of Appeals, is it justices or is that another jury trial as well? No, it's uh, the judges. And they look at the relationship between actual damages and punitive damages. And in almost all of these cases, uh, they reduce the sentence. For example, if Trump's lawyers is not going to do this, but if Trump's lawyers were to go to them now and say, hey, I'll tell you what, don't appeal, we'll pay you $25 million, they would accept that in 10 seconds, of course, because they know this, it's going to be reduced. They don't know by how much, but they know it's going to be reduced. So the thing that I found fascinating was in, in the aftermath of this, his lawyer was talking about all the things that couldn't have been introduced. Was that because, like, for example, there was a CNN tape uh, where she talks about rape uh, with uh, Anderson Cooper, and there were all these other aspects of stuff. And the the lawyer for Trump kept saying, I wasn't allowed to introduce it. Is that because this was purely a defamation and a damages aspect of the case? Or was that at all? No, it was because it was damages, but I still think a lot of it should have been able to be introduced on the issue of how, how much was she really hurt. And uh, I don't think the uh, jury heard all the evidence about her actual harm that she suffered. And also on the punitive damages, it should have been allowed in. And I think the Court of Appeals will look hard at some of these issues. But I guarantee you it will be reversed. And if it's not reversed, it will be because it's part of the get Trump. If it's not reversed, is that the end of the road or can he keep going higher judicially? He can go to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court is unlikely to take a right. case in state uh, uh, involving even federal court damages. This is a federal court, but it's based on state law. It just seems to me that even for a rich guy, $83 million is a hard liquid amount to, to get, right? They keep talking about him potentially having to sell stuff. I mean, that this seems like it's literally meant to cripple him. Well, it's really meant to hurt him very badly. And, and I think, you know, remember, this is New York and uh, everything in New York is going to go against them, even though the weakest criminal case that there is, is the New York case brought by District Attorney Bragg. New York jury is going to rule in, in, against Trump. They would not only indict, they would convict a ham sandwich if it had the name Trump on it. Again, get Trump. That's remember the D.A. and the and the. The state attorney general both ran on the platform of we're going to get Trump when you run on that platform and you know you're going to lose reelection unless you get Trump. That's not a fair application of prosecutorial discretion. So you brought up the, the, the other I mean, you've got this other case about his business practices. And I keep reading that there's literally no precedent for a, a decision, especially of this magnitude, a ruling against him when there's no victim, right? The banks are saying, hey, we got our money back. We were fine with that. We, we, we knew the terms of the deal. There's no victim in the case. And yet the attorney general, Tish James, goes after Trump years after all this takes place. Uh, this is another one. Again, we, it's, it's like it just keeps coming where on its face, you have to look at that and say, if it wasn't Donald Trump, would there be any way that this would be prosecuted? I don't know of any case, and I've done so many of these cases over my 60 years, any case where an attorney general decided to protect banks 
when the banks didn't want to be protected and use resources that could be used to protect people, ordinary people from being defrauded. Here you have a bank that has the ability to check on the worth of buildings. Everybody knows that people overstate the value of their buildings when they're getting a loan. Uh, this was an absurd case to bring. Yeah. So does that follow the same sequence as the other civil one, which is, uh, hey, he'll appeal that and then hopefully either get it reduced or wh where does that, does that follow the same sort of judicial sequence? Yes, it's the same, it's the same thing, but we'll see where the courts of appeals. Remember, state courts of appeals are elected. And so, you know, when you live in anti-Trump neighborhoods like New York, you don't want to go against the voters. But uh, this is also being appealed, the other case in the federal court, the Court of Appeals Second Circuit. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I don't think these verdicts will be allowed to stand as they are. You know, I obviously you represented him in the impeachment uh, uh, that, that occurred in, in the in the Congress. As an attorney, as a who, who's dealt with a ton of clients, Trump is obviously fighting back publicly. Like he prints yeah. stuff. He how difficult does that make the lawyer's job? Or is it, you know, that we talked about this with Hunter Biden, that some of these stunts get the public on your side? Look, I think Trump is doing the right thing. He's helping to strengthen his base politically. He's using these cases, which he knows are political, and he knows he has no chance of winning, but he's using them to win politically, I, you know? When, when you, you can fight politics with politics, as you said at the beginning of the interview, who went first? And, and, and I think going after him first by the legal system um, helps you understand why he's using these cases to help himself. Um, so we've covered the civil. Let's cover the, the criminal for a second. What the, the Jack Smith case in D.C. right now I get we're on hold at least till the Supreme Court or the appeals court decides this issue of immunity. Is this the Trump campaign or the Trump side just trying to play beat the clock and hope he wins the election? Or is there actually a, a greater strategy at hand? No, it's beat the clock without a doubt. And uh, what's surprising is that the TCT uh, circuit has to come down with the decision yet. Everybody expected they would come down with the decision very quickly. And if Trump lost, which he probably will, he would try to get certiorari from the Supreme Court, which is very discretionary. And so um, it's all about the clock. It's all about the clock. And, and but Jack, I mean, so if you're Jack Smith, are you just sitting back letting this happen? I mean, he seems dedicated to, to truly, I mean, to the, to the point of your book, you want to talk about a guy that wants to get Trump. It's Jack Smith. Does he have any cards left to play? No, he doesn't have any timing cards. He can't go to the Court of Appeals to say, please rush this decision. He has to wait. I suspect the decision will come down pretty quickly. What would be surprising is if we were split decision, say two to one, and that would increase the chances of getting reviewed by the Supreme Court. But we don't know the reason for the delay. It's speculative. It's seeing things of reading. So if you're the Trump attorney on this case, is, is that literally just your, your your strategy is let's just keep delaying, 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 and then hope that Donald Trump wins the election? Yeah, I mean, the, the goal is to delay it beyond the election. Um, and, um, and you know, what, what the other side wants to, what Jack Smith wants to, is a down and dirty conviction, knowing 
that there's a chance it would be reversed on appeal, but that would be too late to affect the election. So right. is this interference? Well, certainly in effect, if not in intent. So every media organization out there keeps citing these polls that show, you know, if Donald Trump was convicted, that would change X number of voters, you know, a desire to vote for him, whatever. They clearly are rooting for that, right? If you had to predict um, the 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 odds of a conviction in any of these cases coming down before November, is what what percentage would you give? In which case do you think would that 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 would be? Well, the New York case would have no impact on voters because everybody would know it's a fake case. The Florida case, which is a smoking not gun, a smoking cigarette butt, waving a you know, waving a, 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 a classified document and some, somebody, he making that wouldn't matter. The, the, Why wouldn't the, that matter? Uh, wait, 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 hold on. What do you mean it wouldn't matter? That's, the, that's the, the classified document one? Yeah, but it's, it's every, everybody has classified documents in their possession. And I don't think that would change holders' minds. And I think the Georgia case has become so infected with prosecutorial misconduct that that won't have a big impact. I think the D.C. case could have a big impact, and that's a slam dunk for conviction. Ninety-five percent of the jury pool will be people who hate Donald Trump. So there, it's a question of timing. There will be a conviction in the District of Columbia, but will it happen on time? And that will depend on whether the Supreme Court does or does not grant review of the case. Um, I want to switch gears First, your latest book that we mentioned at the top, War Against the Jews, um, you taught for years at Harvard. Um, it seems like there's been some victories there, right? Uh, that that this yeah. idea that the president of Harvard resigned. There are four now. There are people that are now trying to to run to be part of. I, and I don't even understand Harvard's infrastructure there. There's a board of this and a grand poobahs and all sorts of things. Do you think that there's a fundamental shift at a place like Harvard, or was it just replacing Claudine Gay and we're going to get another one? Well, it remains to be seen, but there's a shift in the sense that we are fighting back. Uh, those of us on the faculty, donors, alumni, we're fighting back. We're watching. We're not getting away with it anymore, and we're going to hold you accountable. Now, Harvard has shown its you know, underside, and, and, and I think it has heard Harvard terribly, you know, I've been associated with Harvard for 60 years. I'm not happy with that. But it's better to have this out in the open. Uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think it will help Harvard in the last analysis. But uh, the bias and the bigotry of some of these students has just been uh, outrageous. And some of the faculty, uh, the hatred toward Israel, toward Jews, uh, has become so manifest and um, I'm actually thinking about writing a book uh, about that, a guide kind of to parents who are losing children uh, to this woke progressive uh, uh, stuff. And, and, and they, they don't understand how to, how to fight back. And, and now we're seeing all these things in, in, in the Middle East with UNRWA, the, the United Nations organization, becoming part of Hamas. And the United States should simply defund UNRWA they should dismantle UNRWA. UNRWA is part of the problem, not in any way part of the solution. There shouldn't be a special agency to deal and permanentize 
Palestinian refugees. They should be part of the refugee problems in the world. But um, they're part of the problem. But I think we're fighting back. And that's a good sign. Yeah. First of all, I would just say it's been, what, six weeks, eight weeks. So you definitely need a new book because you get Trump, the war gets the Jews. I mean, I, I think it's that's that's your timelines. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so a, a new book is already in, in order. Um, the thing that's interesting, and I, I agree with you 100 percent, finally, when people realize when they get their voice, when they push back, uh, whether it's some of the woke culture, what's happening at Harvard, I think there's a sense that people realize now they can win more. The thing that yeah. I find fascinating about what's happening now is that, you know, you, you stated this multiple times in our conversation that you are a defender of the Constitution, but you are still a proud liberal Democrat. What do you think about the position of your party on on how it's treating and dealing with Israel? I'm very worried about the party, uh, and I will leave the party if it becomes a party of the woke squad. Uh, but now, of course, uh, Corey Bush, who is among the most anti-Semitic members of Congress, is herself being investigated for a criminal corruption. Uh, I think the squad has been weakened, um, uh, and, and I hope they will be marginalized. I have a piece coming out uh, in the next couple of days about black ministers who have threatened the Biden administration with the loss of black voters unless they turn against Israel. That would be a disaster because if, if Biden turns against Israel, then many of us turn against Biden as well. And he has to do the right thing and he has to stand with Israel. I, I feel like Israel and the border are very similar to Biden. He 10 years ago, 15 year old, 15 years ago, Joe Biden would have been on the side of Israel and he would have been on the side of the border. But he recognizes now that that's not where the base of his party is. And so he's now trying to figure out how to balance the the political aspects of these two issues. It's embarrassing to see, especially on both, frankly, but the border one to me is mind blowing. But the Israel yeah. one, the the abandonment of something that was another you know, it was the foreign policy equivalent of a bipartisan issue. People understood the importance of Israel, its place as a democracy in the Middle East. And yet now we're equivocating about what happened on October 7th and saying, well, you know, it's it that was a brutal, unprovoked attack uh, that, that we, I mean, it was terrorism at its heart. And look, now Iran is attacking Americans and killing Americans. But uh, Amapur on CNN had the unbelievable uh, chutzpah to blame Israel essentially for the death of the three American soldiers, saying if not for Israel attacking Hamas, Iran would not have killed the three American soldiers. CNN knows no limits into how far it will go to becoming Pravda rather than uh, the voice of truth when it comes to issues uh, like this. Iran is the true enemy. The United States must take action against Iran. I think Biden is going to be judged uh, on what he does in the next few days in terms of responding to the killing of these fine American soldiers who gave yep. their lives to protect uh, these values that we believe in so strongly. And these values uh, are manifested also in how we deal with terrorism around the world and Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And this administration has to stand up to Iran. It's the head of the octopus, not the snake. It's an octopus because it has tentacles in Yemen, in, in, in Lebanon, in Gaza, in Jordan, in Iraq, all over the Middle East. And we have to stand with our, uh, with our uh, people, and our allies, whether they be Saudi Arabia or Israel, and we have to make the Middle East safe 
safe for our allies, and we're not doing it as well right. as we could. All right, this session of the class is over, but you have homework. It's to go out and get uh, get Trump and the war against the Jews, and maybe start to sign up for that next book that we just heard about today. Professor Dershowitz, always a pleasure to have you. Well, I have to warn you, there's no great inflation in my class. So if you don't do your homework and read the books and come up <laughs> with the right answer, you're getting C minuses. None of this A stuff. I don't even great inflation. Oh, C minus would be great inflation for me. Anyway, thanks again, <laughs> as always. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks for watching. We've got a great show this week for you. On Thursday, the big panel is going to be here to break down everything. Friday, Bill O'Reilly joins us in the next week. Victor Davis Hanson and Mike Huckabee. Wow, that's a big show for you. What a lineup. So subscribe, hit the notification buttons, Rumble, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. We'll see you back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.